0: Welcome to How'd We Get Here, a podcast series about the observations and musings of a rather bemused onlooker from a Christian conservative perspective. My name is Debbie Simons, and I plan for this series to last perhaps six to eight weeks. I'm recording this first episode on Friday, March 9th. The White House is in a state of utter turmoil and chaos, the likes of which we haven't seen since the very early days of the administration. There have been several high-level departures from the White House staff over this past week or so. And today, the two big stories are Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump's proposed meeting with Kim Jong-un. Who knows where on earth we'll be by the time I end this series. Let me introduce myself. As I say, my name is Debbie Simons. I live in the Denver suburbs, and I call myself a conservative Christian, and that is the perspective from which I am doing these episodes of this podcast. However, if you do not fit that description, I am so glad that you're listening, and I hope you'll come back. I plan to address a variety of issues that I see as being important for all of us, all of us Americans, as we grapple with this new political reality. But perhaps, especially for those who are coming at these issues from the same mindset that I am. You will notice that I did not call myself and evangelical. I don't know that I ever have used that term very much to describe myself anyway, but if I had been using it, I wouldn't be using it anymore. I agree with the great Russell Moore, who is the president of the Commission on Ethics and Religious Liberty at the Southern Baptist Convention, who wrote an excellent article about a year ago titled, why this election makes me hate the word evangelical. And I will put a link to it in the show notes. I will have several articles I quote from. And if you're intrigued by the quotations, I would encourage you to go to the notes and look up the entire piece. Now, the question could be, well, why on earth am I doing this? I'm coming rather late in the game this whole political podcast world well over a year since the inauguration of Donald Trump. And I'm not a political pundit. I'm not a journalist or anything like that. But as I thought about the issues that I was seeing more and more, I felt that there was no brief, easily accessible summarization of some of these major issues And that there were tons of articles, there have now been entire books written about the Trump presidency, and of course, lots of radio programs, television programs, and indeed podcasts. But I am trying to provide a summary from the viewpoint of somebody who is an outsider and is an amateur in the world of politics. I am certainly not going to try to refight the election and explain why Donald Trump should have lost and why Hillary Clinton should have won. I'm not interested in trying to get people who voted for Donald Trump to say that they shouldn't have voted for him. That's, that's not my point at all. But I, I do want us to look at what actually happened, to look at some of the issues in the background and to come to an understanding of where we are today. I'm going to start out by giving you three quotations that will provide somewhat of a foundation, at least for this first episode, as I simply explain how I came to the conclusion that I did about the person I was going to vote for in the 2016 election. The first quotation does not have a source. I guess it's anonymous. I probably could dig up who's supposed to have said it first. It's a very worn out cliche, but as I'm fond of saying, worn out cliches become worn out because they get used a lot and they get used a lot because they're true. So the quotation is, those who will not learn from the mistakes of history are doomed to repeat them. And I think there were plenty of mistakes that were made by voters in the 2016 election that we must not repeat. The second quotation is from someone probably most of you have not heard of. His name is P.J. O'Rourke. He's a comic and a satirist. He's written several books. He appears on TV shows. He's probably more of a libertarian than a conservative. And back in May of 2016, he came out with an article explaining why he had decided to vote for Hillary Clinton. And the priceless line was... Hillary Clinton is wrong on just about everything, but at least she's wrong within normal parameters. And the third quotation is from someone that everyone has heard of because even if you weren't aware of this man as a historical figure, he's now a figure in a smash Broadway musical, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton had a choice to make in the election of 1800. Let me read you a little bit of a Uh, background about that election. The presidential election of 1800 provided Alexander Hamilton, former Secretary of the Treasury, with a dilemma, a tie between Thomas Jefferson, a man whose principles were in direct opposition to Hamilton's own, and Aaron Burr, a man Hamilton believed to have no principles at all. As the House of Representatives prepared to vote to break the deadlock, Hamilton conducted a furious letter-writing campaign to urge fellow Federalists to vote for Jefferson. In this letter to Harrison Gray Otis, a Massachusetts congressman, Hamilton writes that, In a choice of evils, let them take the least. Jefferson is in every view less dangerous than Burke. And then his famous quotation is, if we must have an enemy at the head of government, let it be one whom we can oppose and for whom we are not responsible. So, having laid that foundation, let me just explain a little bit about my own evolution into someone who has become quite politically involved, at least on paper. So, up until 2016, I would say that I was someone who had very little interest in politics, I voted at the straight Republican ticket. We lived right outside of Washington, D.C. for 15 years. My husband worked right next door to the White House for about 10 of those years. And we had the Washington Post delivered to our doorstep every day. How quaint. Jim would read the editorial page and the front page, and I would read the style section. And that tells you about the depth of my political involvement. I did have some worries and problems about the Iraq war under George W. Bush. I was quite concerned about having Sarah Palin in the White House, that kind of thing. But on the whole, I voted for Republicans. If there was a ballot initiative, I just let my husband decide how we were going to vote. And that was just about that. Like the rest of the known world, I was aware of the June 2015 golden escalator moment when Donald Trump came down that said golden apparatus at uh, Trump Tower in downtown Manhattan and announced that he was running as a candidate for the Republican nomination. But I assumed, just like almost everyone else, that it was just a stunt. It was being done purely for publicity, and he didn't really mean it. He wasn't really serious. Questions about that still linger to this day. But I figured he'd go away, and I didn't really pay much attention at all. The first jolt I had. The first intimation of disaster, as I have called this first podcast episode, came at the end of March of 2016. We were having a big family dinner. We had out-of-town family members who were visiting, and everyone was over at our house for dinner, and talk, of course, turned at one point to politics and my brother-in-law announced very undramatically, very matter-of-factly, that if the Republican Party nominated Donald Trump, that he would vote for Hillary Clinton. And this was just not something that you said in our circles. We looked at him. I've I've looked back on that little scene many times and wondered why no one leaped to his or her feet and pointed a finger at Ed and said, how dare you, sir? But I think we were all just shocked. I know I was. I know that I was sitting there with my jaw hanging open. And in my mind, I was thinking, what? Are you crazy? The Republican Party is not going to nominate Donald Trump for heaven's sake. And you're going to vote for, for Hillary? It just, It seemed unbelievable. I thought, surely he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I have learned in the past that usually my brother-in-law does know what he was talking about. And of course, in this case, he did. He also said something very interesting. He said, Donald Trump reminds me of the bullies that I used to know in high school. Well, I thought, surely he's mistaken. In April, Ted Cruz won the Wisconsin primary and I thought, oh, we're saved. We're saved. I felt as if a bullet had passed over my head. And just to be clear, had Ted Cruz won the nomination, I would certainly have voted for him. I do not care for him personally. I think he's rather obnoxious and smarmy and greasy-haired and arrogant. But all that being said, those are simply personality flaws. And I do believe that he is an honest decent and honorable man who really does believe what he says he believes who actually does have an ideology and i i really do think that had he been the nominee he might very well have won he is a harvard trained debater he would have shredded hillary in those debates i think he might have made a very good showing and indeed might be in the white house today and that would be so much better for everybody But as I said, we're not going to refight the election. In May, Donald Trump made his famous or rather infamous comments about the so-called Mexican judge, Judge Curiel, a man who actually had been born in Indiana of Mexican immigrant parents. Trump's comments implied that a man of Mexican heritage could not judge the Trump University the fraudulent Trump University lawsuit fairly. And at that point, something rather remarkable happened akin to the moment at the dinner table when Ed made his announcement. George Will left the Republican Party. For those of you who are not familiar with George Will, he has been writing a conservative political column for over 40 years. He is also staunchly pro-life, His pro-life credentials are impeccable and he has a 40-something son named Jonathan who has Down syndrome and he usually writes a column about Jonathan every year on Jonathan's birthday. He's a man of integrity and courage and someone I admire very much. He is considered to be somewhat the heir, the spiritual heir to William F. Buckley Jr., who was the founder of National Review and of whom I have very fond memories because I used to watch Buckley's TV program Firing Line with my dad, who was a huge Buckley fan. For George Will to leave the Republican Party was akin to the Pope leaving the Catholic Church. I paid attention. I thought, oh my goodness, what is going on here? Meanwhile, Donald Trump was holding these rallies where there were calls for violence and something very troubling. If you've studied history, you know that one of the things that gets crowds stirred up and riled up into violence is short, punchy slogans. What were his short, punchy slogans? Lock her up and build the wall. We'll look at both of those slogans later when I actually look at the campaign in a little more detail. People were wondering if they could let their children watch the Republican primary debates because of Trump's vulgar language. And it appeared to me that he was simply putting on an act. Any time that he was trying to explain his stance on something, most notably on abortion, if abortion were not such a serious, tragic subject, his statements would be laughable. He kept changing what he was saying. He obviously had no real understanding of the issues involved. He was, again, obviously putting on a show just trying to get across to a group that he knew he had to win over that he was pro-life without being anything of the sort. So I found all of this very troubling and I started wondering if perhaps I was going to have to make the decision to vote for Hillary Clinton too. Now this was a woman who so irritated me back in 2008 when she was locked in that primary battle with Barack Obama for the Democratic nomination, I would hear her voice come on the radio or on TV and it would just, it would be like the, another cliche, fingernails across a blackboard. I said, if that woman ends up in the White House and I have to listen to that voice every day when I turn on the radio, I think I'll have to move to the Yukon. And now I was seriously considering voting for her because the more I looked at Donald Trump, the more I thought this reckless, ignorant man, this, this dangerous man cannot be allowed to get into the White House. It will be a disaster. We can't let this happen. And the only way to stop him, unfortunately, is to put his opponent in the White House. There is no one else who can win this election. So I made the decision to vote for Hillary Clinton. But I didn't do this without some real research. So at some point, I would say late, late May, early June, somewhere along in there, I started thinking that perhaps I should do some reading of my own. So somewhere in late June and early July, it should have happened a lot sooner than this, but it happened then, I decided, you know, I I really need to do some some looking for myself. What's out there? What are other conservatives saying? I'm not really very much aware of, of who is saying what. So one fateful day, I sat down at my computer and I typed three words into the Google search bar, conservatives against Trump, and immediately the search page filled up with links to all kinds of sources, one of which I would say I recognized, and that was National Review. I vaguely knew that that was the magazine that William F. Buckley had founded. But there were other sources that were popping up, Red State, Hot Air, and The Federalist. And I was especially taken with The Federalist because that publication, number one, had some names I recognized. They were actually people I knew because they had attended the same church that we had attended in downtown Washington, D.C. during our time living right outside that city. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. And then I ran across two articles. I would say these were, in literary circles, sometimes you call pieces of literature, Seminal, meaning that they are the the start of something. They're the seed of something. These two articles, I would say, were seminal for me. They were both by a woman, a young woman named Rebecca Cusey. I believe that I recognize her picture. I think she may have attended the church we did. It was very clear from some of the things she said that she was actually a Christian. She understood what it actually meant to be a Christian and smart as the Dickens. So I'm going to read two short quotations from these two articles just to share with you what were some very early influences in the way I was starting to think. The first one is from the June 23rd issue of The Federalist. And by the way, this is not The Federalist Society, which is the group that gave Donald Trump that list of potential Supreme Court justice nominees. This is the Federalist blog. It is run by a man named Ben Dominich, who, for what it's worth, is uh, John McCain's son-in-law. He married Meghan McCain last November. And uh, they have a wide range of articles, by the way. Not everybody says the things that Rebecca Cusey says in these articles. Sometimes people think that conservatives all think alike, but that is not true at all. So, anyway... Here is a brief quotation from this June 23rd article. If you can remember back that far, you will remember that Trump had a closed-door meeting in Washington, D.C. with several hundred evangelical leaders, and it was supposed to be a reassurance to these people that he was really okay, that he was really on their side. Reporters were barred from this meeting, but of course, recorders, mostly in the form of cell phones, could not be barred, and within hours, full transcripts and full recordings had been leaked. So here is what Rebecca Cusey has to say, just one of the points she makes, and the article is excellent as a whole. I would suggest you read it. The title of the article is, Five Most Sickening Parts of Trump's Meeting with Evangelical Leaders. So I'm going to read to you part of number five. Trump equated Christianity with worldly power, and his listeners agreed. Perhaps the most disturbing and theological suspect part of this whole exercise is the way Trump apparently sees Christianity as an exercise in amassing worldly power and got a nod from those present. Her second article was published on July 1st, 2016, and its title is Trump's Not Hitler, He's Marion Barry. And I'll read you the first paragraph. Donald Trump is often compared to Adolf Hitler, but the comparison doesn't ring quite true. It's easy to make hay of the nationalistic slogans, the race baiting dog whistles, the wild eyed devotees. But Trump as Hitler gives the orange faced menace too much credit. Hitler was bigger. He had a master plan, an evil and horrific master plan, and he did what it took to turn his visions of murder into reality. Trump is something smaller and something we've seen in America before. He's Marion Barry. You remember Barry. He was the D.C. mayor for life who was caught smoking crack in a hotel room with a prostitute, went to prison, and nevertheless came back to be re-elected mayor. Barry remained a political force in D.C. and a colorful figure until his death in 2014. So those two articles, plus many others, came pouring onto my search page, as I said. Just an embarrassment of riches. And I I became greatly exercised. I thought, well, I've made the decision that Donald Trump must be stopped, but I know that most of the people whom I know, my friends, my family, they're not reading this stuff. And they're all planning on voting for Donald Trump. Is there any way I can get some of this good material out there? And the only way I could think of to do it was to start a Facebook page. I actually had a personal Facebook page that I had never used. And I thought, well, I can write my own brief articles and I could start posting some of this excellent material. So on July 4th, 2016, I thought that was an appropriate day. I started out with a bang with an article I wrote myself titled, Why I'm Planning to Vote for Hillary Clinton. And I did get a fair amount of pushback. I have no idea how many people actually read these articles. As time went on, and especially after the election, comments got fewer and fewer but I have continued posting on that Facebook page to this day. I hoped to be able to get at least a few people to read some reasoned arguments against Trump and perhaps to change a few votes. I doubt very much that I changed a single one, but I tried. And in the meantime, I was learning a ton and really getting involved and informed about what was going on in our electoral process. As I end this first episode of the podcast, I want to go back to the source for all Christians of our faith and practice, and that is the Bible. And I want to be very sure that I am not twisting scripture to meet my own ends. I'm not implying that any of the verses that I'm going to be presenting here specifically have to do with politics. They specifically have to do with doctrine, sound doctrine, and and sound teaching. But as with anything in the Bible, there is a specific meaning and there's also a general meaning. And I believe that there are general principles in these verses that are very applicable to Christians as they live out their lives in whatever area of life they may be considering. So, the first one is from Matthew 10, 16. And by the way, I will say that I have never heard a sermon preached on any of these three verses. All right. So Matthew 10, 16. These are the words of Jesus himself. He's sending out his 12 disciples to go preach the gospel, and he gives them several directions, several instructions. And then he says, behold, I send you forth as sheep among the wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you are certainly familiar with the idea of uh, wolves and sheep. And you've heard the saying, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And you know that sheep are the natural prey of wolves and that sheep are very defenseless creatures. So the first half of this verse is quite clear. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out into a dangerous world. But the second half of this verse, again, something I've never heard any teaching on, Jesus says, be therefore as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So what on earth does it mean to be as wise as a serpent? You may think, well, uh, wasn't the serpent the uh, creature that got Eve to eat that apple in the Garden of Eden? Except it wasn't an apple. But anyway, uh, so why would why would Jesus be telling his disciples to be like, like a snake? And of course, even today, if we say, if we call somebody a snake, we certainly don't meet it as a compliment. But if you go back to the original story in the book of Genesis chapter three, and I'm going to quote from the old King James, I have a terrible time quoting from anything else because that's what I was raised on. The beginning of the story of the fall of man says, Genesis 3, 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So it's never explained what that means. How, how was this serpent subtle? Subtle here means clever, cunning, crafty. How, how was he crafty? It's just not explained at all. It is pretty clear, however, and most scholars will agree on this, that the devil, Satan, simply used the serpent as his vehicle for tempting Eve. So Jesus is certainly not telling his disciples to act like Satan. He's saying, be cunning and crafty. Be wise. Don't let people take advantage of you. Don't be gullible. Don't be naive. But instead, be wise. As well as being innocent and harmless yourself, like a dove. You are inoffensive, you do no harm, but you also are on the lookout for others who will do harm to you. The second verse is from the book of Acts, which was written by the physician Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he continues his story in the book of Acts, which ends up being focused mainly on the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. And In Acts chapter 17, Paul has been smuggled out of Thessalonica because there is an uprising against him in that city, and his friends take him to the nearby city of Berea. And in verse 11, we're told this about the Jewish people living in that city. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day. To see if what Paul said was true. So if you give it 30 seconds of thought, you're probably going to realize that you've seen a lot of churches that have the name Berean in, in the title. Berean Baptist Church. That's a very typical name of a church or Berean Bible Church. Well, why are the Bereans so honored? And they only appear in this verse, and I think there's a brief mention of them somewhere else, and that's it. And this verse tells us why churches get named after them. They did two things. First of all, they received Paul's message of salvation by faith with gladness, with eagerness. They thought it sounded great. Paul was saying to them, the Messiah has come in the person of Jesus Christ, and he offers salvation freely through faith. By grace. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to work for it. You simply must believe. Well, they listened eagerly. This sounded great. But what else did they do? And this is sadly such a missing piece in so much of our Christian teaching today. It says they examined the scriptures every day. To see if what Paul said was true. In other words, they checked out the theology and teaching of the Apostle Paul. Now, they didn't know he was the Apostle Paul. They didn't know he was going to end up writing great swaths of the New Testament, of course, but he was a fiery, compelling speaker, we think, and he had this wonderful message, but they said, the implication is, this all sounds really great, Paul, but you're just a man. We are going to go back to our sacred scriptures, what today we would call the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet, of course. We're going to see if what you're telling us seems to check out. You're telling us Jesus was the Messiah. Well, we're going to look up the prophecies about the Messiah and see if they match, that kind of thing. And instead of Paul being offended, he praises them. Luke is obviously reflecting Paul's attitude about the Bereans when he says they were noble. But how many people today go home after hearing a sermon and look up the passage and really check it out and then go back to their pastors and say, you know, pastor, I went home Sunday afternoon after your sermon last Sunday and I really studied that passage and I'm not sure that it means what you're saying it means. And how many pastors would be glad to have people in their congregation like that? Unfortunately, the Bereans are perhaps having churches named after them, but I'm afraid their example is not being followed in very many churches today. The third verse is from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 3. This, of course, is a book that was written directly by Paul. And he's explaining what is going to happen in the ongoing days of the church age, what he calls the last days. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I used to find this verse rather puzzling. I did not use the King James Version for reading on this podcast because The King James is a little puzzling. It talks about teachers having itching ears. So I always used to think that the teachers were the ones with the itching ears, but they're actually not. It's their hearers. In other words, Paul is saying people are going to want to hear what makes them feel good. They're going to want to have their itches scratched. They're going to want to have their desires met. They're not going to want to deal with the sound doctrine that sometimes is very uncomfortable to hear. And so they're going to gather to themselves people who tell them what they've already decided they want to hear. I'll just kind of leave that one hanging and you see if you can think of some people who are around today who perhaps are going around scratching a few ears. So with those three verses... I'm going to draw this first episode of the podcast to a close. I plan for the next episode to give a quick overview of Donald Trump's career as an adult and some of the factors that many people think led him to make what seemed to be a serious bid for the Republican nomination. And so I hope you'll come back then. If you find this material interesting, then, as I say, I hope you will read the full articles that are noted in the podcast itself down in the show notes. I have the links to the full articles. And if you are interested in having someone come and speak to a group, whether it's at your church or perhaps a small group you have in your home, something like that, I would be more than happy to come and speak, even to the smallest of groups. I love discussions. I love question and answer periods. I would consider it a great joy. If you live in the Denver area and you would like to get in touch with me, my contact information is also listed in the show notes. So until next week, this is the Intentional Conservative signing off.